Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Knutson with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 169. Getting close to 200 here shortly. Uh, today's episode is going to be the normal G update, and then I am going to uh, address some uh, listener questions that have been mounting up. And I'm going to also have a little description about why my website disappeared and why all kinds of things have been a little strange on my end. I'm going to explain a little bit of that as well. So we'll begin with the uh, G update. So she is now running handling, and she is running. Um, uh, we're s working on cold land blinds. Didn't stay on the pattern blinds too too long. Uh, so. Part of her program is to do some casting and lining drills several times a week. You know, just not, not baseball diamond. I don't do that. But just some, you know, angle back left and right with some overs and then uh, to do a lining drill. And I have several of those that I really like just to get a communication going between us. And then we just go and run a series of, of cold blinds. Some of them are kind of long. And I just keep walking out with her. And some are not. I never, I always change the distance so that they don't ever become conditioned to going, you know, 100 yards or whatever. Just different things depending on the terrain and the day and, and all that. So that's going actually pretty well. Uh, she seems to be getting that. Her sister also equally well seems to be getting that. So they're doing well. Um, in the water, still finishing all of that stuff up. Um, it's hot. It, so I tried a water blind this weekend. But there were, had been marks that we'd run previous, and that just literally blew G's mind. She was like, no, I must go back. So putting blinds with marks, we're not there yet. You know, and I'm not in a hurry because I want her to have a lot of confidence and really understand what we're doing. It's important for people to realize, and I know a lot do, and a lot don't. Because you can tell a dog to go on back and stop on a whistle, by no means means that they can, one, just run a blind, or two, that they can handle or run blinds associated with marks. If you've been doing marks with your dog since you know they were little and you were throwing puppy bumpers and you do that, that makes marks a singular activity. And when you start to add this other weird thing that they've never done associated with it, it can be a little bit of a hump to get over. And so it just takes time. I like to use my pattern blinds to introduce that. So when she, they know the pattern blinds and I'm off running cold blinds and stuff, I'll go throw some marks with my pattern blinds so I can run the marks and then run the blinds. And she, if, you know, they know what it, what it is. So that's the next plan, too. So they're like, you can really handle them because they ultimately they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So that's a real nice place. That's where I like to do it. And I'll do that with G. Can't rely on that too much. But to do that, you know, a number of times, so at least they begin to get the idea that we can do these two very different things in the same location, roughly at the same time. So that's where she is. Um, I'm also working on wool breaking her, because that's the one piece that's missing out in the upland field now, is the ability to communicate, make her understand that once you do go on point and the bird stays there, you're you move don't move again. So that's really all that's left. So things are going, you know, coming together. Uh, really well with uh, with her so I'm happy about that so my first listener question that I had and I had to mull this one over for a while because it's kind of a difficult one but somebody and it's a, a client that I've had recently um, someone they have a dog that has what I would say a very 
moderate interest uh, in the work, just a, a very moderate interest. And some days none, and some days a little bit more, but it all kind of balances out to, to a very moderate interest. And so uh, throwing bumpers, I could not get bumper retrieves. Could not get them. I mean, just not at, maybe every now and then on an early morning, if I tossed one out, the dog might run out there and get it and bring it partway back and then set it down and go off and sniff something. So I could never get that retrieve thing. And the owner had said that they had the same same deal. The dog was fairly ambivalent about whether he was going to do it or not. And so I tried and tried. The dog is force-fetched. A lot of times when I force-fetch him, I can let him know, hey, you got to go get that. And then once they understand the fun of that, then you got that desire. That, that did not happen. And so the last thing that I had to do with this dog was to um, just start shooting some birds. And we just went out in the upland field, put birds out there, walked out there with him. He may find him or not. Actually, he just walked up, and it was a pointing dog, and just pointed hard. It was like, okay, we got this part. He didn't know what he was doing. I mean, it was just that autonomic thing that just came in. And so shot those birds, and those he would go get. So he enjoyed that. He liked that a lot. So I used the shot bird thing to get the retrieving going. So, But still, even with that, when we go out in the up and field, I don't have a fire-breathing dragon out there. He's out there, and it's the most pleasant, enjoyable dog. So easy to have inside, so clean, so agreeable, really nice. I mean, just a nice dog to have around because he doesn't bark and he doesn't you know cause a ruckus and he doesn't fight and he's just pleasant he knows is where his kennel is in the building when he comes in he just goes into his own kennel i mean just the most agreeable dog and he's agreeable out there in the upland field he loves to go out there and he looks around and every now and then he'll point a mouse thing like all the new guys do but he'll point the birds and then when you shoot it he'll go get it and bring it back and so the question here, I'm telling the background here, the question was, how can I get this dog, you know, so that he's this ardent hunter that we're going to go out and go to South Dakota or go to North Dakota or wherever and, and, and or go to Kansas and hunt these wild pheasants that are really hard to find and, and far fewer than the Dakota-type pheasants. And so how does he get that? And so that's the question that I'm addressing here. How does he get that? So to have that, to have that dog that probably most of you have who hunt, uh, that is just like, boy, when you get the gun out or the vest out or you're loading in the truck and you got the boots on or whatever, they just, you know, they're just like heroin addicts just about to get a hit. They're just really, really excited about that. You don't really have to do anything. As a matter of fact, you have to rein them in. You have to keep the, I hope, <laughs> keep the control and make them remember this is a team thing, you know, <laughs> and I'm the colonel. You have to do that. With those dogs, the desire to go out there and find those little feathered things is, is greater than the desire to hang out with you in the truck or on the couch. It is greater than that, and usually way greater <laughs> than that. I mean, they'll go rather go do that than eat dinner, right? So how th the question is, how does he get this dog to do that? That would require that this dog be, feel more passionate about bird location and you know bird dropping and bird retrieving than he does about all the other aspects of life, which are the social parts where you hang out and you do stuff together and you, he likes training, you know, when you have a leash and 
Were you fine with four spreads? Like, sure, okay, I'll, I'll do this because he liked it because we were together. So the social thing, the enjoyment of daily life in a calm and kind of relaxed way is a big deal to this dog. And that bird thing is kind of in flux right now. It was zero almost, although I guess when he was real little, he was on birds and he really liked it. So it was, it was not very uh, developed. And so now it's where he loves the social and the communal stuff. And he also really enjoys going out and hunting upland birds. So the only way to get this dog to turn into, get at least as much as this dog can be, into a more of a passionate hunter is to go out and do literal real hunting, not even my setup stuff, you know, where we're always in training. You know, you're going to find a bird in the first few minutes, five minutes at least, maybe even 10 at most. You're going to find birds. There's always going to be birds there. So hunting is, you know, seems easy in a sense. When you're actually out there and you go to Kansas, you might be a couple hours before you find birds. Not, not so much South Dakota, but depending on where you go, it may take a while. So in developing a little bit more passion in these guys, you don't want to, you have to start with fairly findable birds so that they don't just get bored and sort of tune it out. So I would never take this dog somewhere where we might be walking through the field for an hour because after a little while when he didn't find anything, he'd just come back and walk along with you and just think that was great like you were on a hike. So he needs to go and hunt where there will be findable birds, even if it's a put-and-take club to get that to keep it going. So he needs to, it, we need to grow that passion, and we don't do it by having it be an arduous thing. It takes a long time. Maybe we'll only find one. Then there'll be a hen, and then we can't shoot it. Um, so he needs to have findable birds, hunt, you know, huntable birds and shootable birds, and continue to do as enough of that that he um, continue to do enough of that he, that he he starts to go, I, boy, this is really fun. This is really good. You can't go do the hard stuff to start out with because he'll be going, well, that's not like it was at the trainer, so I'll just walk with you. You, you tell me when we're close. And it, So it's a, a thing you have to really be aware of when you do this um, and develop the passion before you start using a lot of real-life applications, particularly if it takes some time or it's difficult. Or let's say you're in Nebraska and you, you're in Sandberg territory. You know, <laughs> fun if you put boots on this dog, he's probably not going to, he's like, what the heck is this? And then if he goes and gets in the Sandbergs, he's going to go, ow, this hurts. I'll just stand here. I, there's obviously we can't hunt. So with these kind of dogs, you really need to play the development game a little bit more. They need to find findable birds. They need to, you know, get the retrieves and build up the passion at whatever rate they can. You also can't get after them out there. You know, I mean, you could, this dog is de-chased. You can call him off a chase. That's not hard. But it was a real light touch and real easy. Hey, these are the rules, bud. And, of course, he's real amenable to doing whatever you ask. But you can't, like, get mad and start yelling and stuff because then this activity that you're trying to build a passion in is bringing about trouble and corrections and anger and bad stuff. So they aren't going to want to do it anymore. So developing the moderately interested dog takes a little bit of thinking and a little bit of time and a little bit of patience. And basically what you have to do is build a passion up 
uh, for doing this until it becomes a little bit greater than the desire to hang out and sit with you in the truck, you know, or in the lodge, on the couch. You have to make this be a little more fun than that or they're never going to develop the big interest. So that's the answer uh, to that question. Now, some dogs, and I have seen some, that once they did a little bit of that, they just a, a switch flipped. And they were all in, and they had that passion dog, and it was all there. And other dogs, it literally takes time. I don't know why. I think just the whole heart and head processing of this stuff, uh, particularly if you didn't develop it as a puppy, which is what I always say with puppies, birds, every week, if you can. And if you can't, find a way to do it. Because if you can click that on early, if it's in there, Doing it early is much better uh, than doing it after they've already developed the enjoyment of a nice life and the family and the backyard and the couch and the living room floor and all that. It really helps if you build this other thing a little bit greater than, than just the niceties of life. I've always said whatever you do with a puppy, whatever you put the most energy in, whatever's the most fun for them, that's what grows and the other stuff gets shoved aside. So it really is, unless you got one of those little fire-breathing dragons and you don't have to try very hard, if you have one of these moderately interested guys, look for that as a puppy and then address it. And then you've got to try and bring it out without corrections and ugly stuff. You know, they still got to be follow safety stuff and all that, but you can't just let them run wild. But they aren't going to run wild. So we got to develop that passion, get it greater than the passion for sitting on the couch with you and then give it time. And usually a dog with some good genetics behind them, um, it's going to come out unless you still make the sitting on the couch. He comes back and he gets a bowl of ice cream and pet and all that. And, you know, it's like, I don't know, this is a little better than those Sambers. Got to be careful about that. So that's the answer to that one. Um, it takes some time and it takes some thought. And you got to look at it almost mathematically. The love of going out and finding those birds has to be a little greater than the love of the couch time with you. Okay, next question is going to be basically just a flip-flop of that question, and that is how do you manage, especially when you're upland hunting or even waterfowl hunting, but how do you manage the dogs that are really, really wound, the uh, fire-breathing dragons that I refer to? How do you, what people always think about that, it, but my question was, uh, by, to me was, somebody had a dog that's, let's say, highly motivated, you know, to look for birds and to retrieve birds and to just run around and do all kinds of, just has so much energy and so many cylinders. And and how, what, what do you do when you're going to hunt a dog like that so that it doesn't, you know, cover the, chase every bird out of the county or take do birds from other dogs, et cetera? So I think one of the things, biggest misunderstandings people have about those kind of dogs is their answer to them is that they need more physical release. Go run them a lot <laughs> before you go hunt them. You know, go, go do a lot of, let them run wild and crazy and to spend their physical energy. And generally, I can't say 100% of the time, but almost 100% of the time, that actually tends to make the problem worse because if you want to isolate what the real problem is and that's always the thing to do whenever you have an issue or something the first thing you want to do is don't talk about the symptoms 
you know, my dog runs and he runs big and like it's hard to control him and I have to, those are symptoms. What the problem is, is what's inside of that dog's head. And it may be a very, a big kind of chaotic lack of focus, uh, semi-joyful, just, wow, I just don't know what to do, so I'm just going to do everything thing in their head. A lot of dogs are people that way. A lot of dogs are that way, particularly if as from youngsters on, they w never were made to learn to sit down and focus and remain on a topic or remain on task. So dogs that, you know, oh, just let them be a puppy and they never had to work and they never had to think and they never had to control themselves. So when you have that kind of a dog, what that means is inside their head, they never develop the neural paths to maintain some sort of mastery over themselves and what they're doing and to remain focused. They don't even know how. Focus just isn't even a thing for them because that's a skill. That is a skill that must be developed on humans and in people. If you never went to school and you just basically ran feral and, you know, shot squirrels and ate them and just did whatever you wanted. And then somebody tried to teach you uh, how to do taxes. <laughs> it just isn't going to work, you know, because your mind, you don't know how to sit in a chair and look at little things on a piece of paper and figure out what to do. And it's very much that way with these dogs. If they've never learned how to focus and not only focus on a task, but remain on that task and at the same time take you into consideration the whole time, if they've never been taught that, then they don't know that. And you can't suddenly go out hunting with all your buddies and don't want your dog to embarrass you. It just doesn't work. And the last thing you want to do with a dog that is just has a hard time controlling their mental activity is to go do something in which they do not have to control their mental activity. So if you got a dog that just runs big and is kind of does all this crazy stuff, and so you go out and drop him behind the truck, right? I've seen this so much. And then go for 20 minutes or whatever uh, and just make them run and they're therefore tire them out. Um, and that's you're not addressing the problem. All you're trying to do is hope that if you just wear this dog down so much, they just won't have the energy to go be crazy but you still have the problem. And that is a dog that does not focus, does not understand that this is a job that they're doing with you and that there's things that they, responsibilities they have, rules that they have, and also working with you. And there's just limitations and stuff. You know, you, you don't run out 300 yards unless that's what you want. It, and if you have a flushing dog, you certainly don't run out 300 yards or even 100 yards. And so... No, that is not usually the answer. The first thing is to define what the problem is, and it's probably the mental thing going on or lack of mental stuff going on in their head. And so what you want to do prior to hunting, of course, is teach them what the rules are, like staying in gun range, like listening, like going in the direction you're going, like coming when called, no matter what. You, you want to practice those things before you go hunting so that you have those tools when you go hunting. But when you have, let's say you've done all that, and you still have one of these guys that just has a hard time reining themselves in. 
certainly going out and airing them and letting them stretch out and get the kind of the movement thing going in so that they feel a little bit better. Then what you want to do is, as I've always said, some algebra problems. You want to make them focus and get into the mentality of working with you, paying attention to you, and focusing. So that is a bigger way to deal with those kind of dogs, presuming you have that foundation where you can do that. Make them bear down and think. And then when you go into, where, well, I don't care whether it's you're goose hunting and you got lay down blinds or whether you're, you know, in South Dakota hunting pheasant and they're going to be all over the place and it's going to be pretty frenzied thing sometimes. You have that dog in a mind state of connection with you, following the rules that have been clearly taught. And then if you need to enforce, you know, a little bit when they're getting a little, you can enforce and they completely understand it. It doesn't detract from their desire to go do the hunting with you. So that's a real important thing. It's way more the focused mental thing. But if you have never gotten it, you're not going to get it while you're hunting. They're going to, they're going to, you, we've all heard about, oh, I was hunting with this guy and he had his collar turned up. Dog just ran right through it, still chased the bird or did whatever. And the reason, that wasn't the dog. That dog had never been taught what the rules were and had not practiced their implementation. Had not practiced not chasing a bird. Had not practiced staying in gun range. Had not practiced coming when called no matter what. And so, sure, they run through the collar. It hurts like heck. And they're not really sure why it's happening, but by golly, they're going to get that bird because that's what they do. So the problem is always the... The person who did not establish the groundwork, did not lay the foundation, and then practice the foundation, and then above all on these really highly motivated guys, maintain a mentality that allows them to focus and stay on the task. And they all can do that unless they're something's wrong. They have some kind of dog mental illness, unless they have that. But that takes a little bit of time and work ahead of time and then holding the standard while you're hunting. So that's what it is to that. It's not what people think. And defining the problem is uh, don't use the symptoms. It's a dog that doesn't know how to function and perform out there because they have not been taught and allowed to develop the skill through practice. All right, third question. And this one I get all the time. For years and years and years I've gotten it. Uh, it is, I have a young pointing lab, so the dog points. <clears throat> this goes for the flushing guys as well, so I'll just say we have a young retriever that up and hunts. And I, I you know, I want to go hunting this year, but the dog is only, you know, 10 months old. It's, you know, it's force-fetched, it's collar-conditioned, it's, uh, you know, de-chased, I hope. Um, I don't know how you hunt a dog that's not de-chased, so I'm not even going to address that. The dog should learn that when a bird's flying around, they cannot go after it unless you, you know, shoot it or s otherwise send them. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so when you have those, can you go hunting? And, you know, how do you not screw it up for the stability and what you want is a finish pointing lab where, you know, they're steady, they're staunch, they, they know what they're doing, they're not running around causing trouble, busting up birds, chasing them, that kind of thing. Same with the flushing guys. You know, they can't, you don't want a flushing guy 250 yards out there bringing every pheasant up that nobody can shoot. <laughs> he's just, 
And even if you have blockers on the other end, if the pheasants fly sideways, then nobody gets a bird. So, so you don't want that in any kind of upland hunting dog. So, but if you have a young dog that does have the fundamentals, you know, can you go hunting and, and how do you manage that so that you invest in the future when this dog is going to do all the finished stuff? Absolutely, you can do that. Absolutely. The hunting experience is very important. So, but I would say, this is me now, um, you do have to have those fundamental things. If the dog does do a retrieve, it needs to bring the bird back to you in one piece, all the way to you. No, you know, so you need the force fetch and the, the good obedience. You need the collar conditioning so the dog, one, knows I have to come all the way back all the time. That's in training that you've done that. Not Out here, we're not going to be using electric collar to make the, the dog come back. They already know. It's a habit. They know when a bird goes down, I bring it back to dad or mom or whoever every single time. Or whoever's calling me to them, if that's how you do it. So you have to have that. Yeah, you have to have the D-chase. D-chase is a safety thing. Again, I just cannot imagine having any dog that believes that any bird that flies over is is you go in pursuit. There's just no place where that's a good thing. There's no place. If you wing a bird and you know it's going to go a little ways, then send your dog on the retrieve. Tell them to go get it. But if, if you know, you miss or it's a hen and you're hunting wild birds, you know, or it's a bird that flew over from another field and is just flying over your field, there's no way your dog can go after that that you're just losing your dog. And so, again, I will emphasize for safety and for good sportsmanship and 10 billion other things, have a dog that's been taught is very simple. doesn't take very long. You have to have them force fetch, collar condition, good obedience, and then you can de-chase them in a matter of, you know, a week or two easily. But when you have that, when you have those things, which, again, I don't know how you can hunt without that, but when you have that, but you have a dog that's not well broken, um, that you know that that uh, doesn't really understand the game real well, doesn't know a lot of stuff. Maybe gets a little creepy, whatever it is, um, or that you don't have the sit whistle. You know, like on a young dog, if you take a young flushing dog and a young pointing dog, you don't have the sit whistle early on. That's something that comes with the more advanced work. So you don't have that sit whistle, you know, to make them sit down to the flush or whatever, right? So you don't have the tools and the bells and whistles that you're going to have next season, assuming you continue to train them. Can you take those guys hunting? Absolutely. So the rules, the rules, again, assuming you have a reasonable foundation to take a dog safely hunting anyway, the rules are a couple things. One, you stay in gun range. Now, for if you have a really good pointer, maybe your gun range is a little expanded. With a flushing dog, it has to be gun range. So you need to make sure that you have, prior to this, taught your dog what gun range is. That means you guys spend a little bit of time in the field, going through the process where you teach them, that's far enough. If you're constantly yelling, whistling, and using the electric collar to try to keep them where they need to be, they are not trained enough to be out there doing that. There is a, an entire training technique for that. I have it early on in these podcasts where you teach your dog, here's gun range, and that's you take the responsibility, and you stay in gun range. And yes, young dogs can learn that. It's very easy. So that's one rule. These guys have to stay in gun range, the young guys. You know, when you have a finished pointing lap, yes, you do any, anything you want. 
they can go out there, you know, just like the pointers and lock up 400 yards out and wait for you to get there, assuming that the bird's not moving. So that you have. But on these early guys, you know, when you don't have steadiness and you don't have the, the stuff that you're ultimately going to need, you need to keep them close enough that you can harvest the birds, assuming that's why you're there. So, all right. So we have the dogs where they, they know gun range. That you have that and you keep them in gun range, not by constantly screaming, whistling, and, uh, you know, using the electric collar, but by doing the preliminary, preliminary work ahead of time somewhere in an open space or a big field where they're going to build a Walmart or something where you teach this dog to take responsibility to stay with you. Okay? That's one thing. The next thing you have is that the dog cannot chase flying birds. Again, you know, if, a, if, it, if it flushes a bird up too far from you and you can't take the shot, you cannot have the dog chasing it. Or if a bird just flies over your field, you cannot have the dog chasing it. So if you have a de-chased dog and they're out there and, and a, a bird flushes that you can't shoot, they aren't going to go get it. So, and then you just call them back to you, you know, or just bring them over where you are and keep going. So you can, the bird experience is good. If it's a flushing dog, make sure you have that in range stuff and make sure they know if you don't shoot it, they can't go after it. But if you do shoot it, they're going to go on the gun at this stage. And that's okay because we don't have that sit whistle. We don't have that steady to wing and shot and flush and all that stuff. But if you have the D chase, then if you don't shoot it, they're not going to go after it. So, and if you do, you shoot at it <laughs> and you miss, you can call them back because you've taught them the, to be called back. So you have that. And for your pointing guys, you know, when you, if they're not going to chase, if they go in there and kick it up and they're too far out, one, you let them get too far out. That's not a good thing. And two, they can't chase it. So they're going to miss, they're going to miss getting that retrieve. So that's, believe it or not, that's all you need. You can take the young guys if you have that foundation on them. You can take them and the upland hunting is what's going to teach them why these rules exist. It's going to teach them. If you've ever been hunting with somebody's dog and it goes out in the field too far, flushes something up and then starts chasing it, and then half of the group has to go look for the dog, that is not useful to anyone. It's unsafe. It's unsafe for other people. It's unsafe for the dog. It's, it's just, and it flushes birds up and everyone's mad, right? No, there's no need for that. I'm going to say another thing. When you have a young dog that, that has only had the preliminary stuff, has, you know, Bindi chase so that does know about this stuff it, for me and I know a lot of people do not agree with this I will not hunt that dog in a group of other dogs because until you and your dog have a really good understanding like you and your best hunting buddy you know, hunt, hunting buddy you know and for 20 years you guys have hunted together know exactly just know what to do it needs to be that way with your dog they know what your gun range is they know how to stay, go in the direction you want them to go. They know what the rules are. They, they're, they are invested in looking for these birds for you because you get all of them. They're not their birds, they're your birds. So you need to really establish that. And it takes at least a hunting season to do that. If you turn your dog out like people like to do, well, they just, everyone dries up, right? And everyone just lets their dog out and then somebody gets in a fight and everybody goes, I can't believe that. He never fights. 
and then you find out that that female is coming in season and then the fighting's worse. You have all kinds of craziness. When you have that young dog that's 10 months old or whatever it is that, you know, doesn't really know what real hunting is, you've just trained and worked and stuff with it, it and you turn it loose it, it, with all these other dogs, it's going to go, wow, party. Oh, and then the other dogs, they, if there's some big leading dog that goes out and starts doing stuff and they learn to follow that guy, you know, and if you have pointing dogs and some not well-trained pointing dog or flushing dog comes over and busts that bird away from your pointing dog, your dog's going to go, I'm not going to stand here and let somebody do that. So you depoint some dogs. and uh, Or you also teach them that, hey, this is a big party. When hunting needs to be something you two do together. And eventually, it's very easy to get in a large group with a lot of dogs. And if everyone had a dog like that, it, then we don't have just dogs just all over the place in front of each other. Your dog's hunting for you. Henry's dog's hunting for him. Frank's dog's hunting for him. And it's very cooperative, and everybody's doing their job, and we don't have dogs intermixed. And then this bird flies over here, and then the wrong dog sees it, goes and gets it. And the other dog, now they're pulling the f bird apart. You know, if, unless you really like that, you just don't need to do that. So, yes, you can do young dogs, do them singularly, have just those fundamentals, have the force fetch so they bring it back to you, have the deep chase, and have the gun range set up. That's not that hard. And then you can go and hunt successfully, and it's the hunting that's going to teach this dog how to find real birds, how to use everything available, all the resources out there to find those things, and continues to teach them that this is a team thing and the bird is yours and not the dogs. And then you can have a lifetime hunting partner that is enviable and everybody would, would want to have with you. So I hope that answers that question. It's doable, but you do have to do a little bit of work first. Okay, the last thing that I'm going to explain, uh, kind of a personal level, and normally I just totally keep personal stuff out of this, but it's kind of relevant to a lot of people uh, who are, were going to send dogs to me and then, you know, just found out that maybe not. Uh, so I'm just going to tell everybody what's happening. Um, it's a difficult thing because, uh, well, my husband and I have been married for 31 years, and we are now almost, the divorce is almost final. We are getting a divorce. He is going to be primarily located in Texas, where he's been basically for almost the last 20 years. He spends most of his time down there. I'm staying in Colorado for the time being on our place. Uh, in Colorado and he does the field trial stuff and he, he'll be down there and I do the the kind of all the stuff that I do and I'll be doing here so there's uh, when I wasn't sure how this was all going to work out there were a lot of people that I had said no I, I'm not sure that I can I can't take your dog right now and send them to to uh, another person that I trust a whole lot um, but now I, so I'm backtracking from that I am back taking dogs full-time um i called a lot of people and said yeah absolutely bring your dog here so i'm still going at it strong still going to do the podcast uh, the website the older website came down because i'm no longer part of gun club labradors i'm out of that i am my the bates works is now my company name that's my maiden name 
And so the name will be a little bit different. It'll be Bates Works. I've got that website. Um, I'm sure the Gun Club website will show up again, but he's got to, you know, take care of that stuff himself. So that's why everybody's like, whatever happened to your website? And it's, well, because I always ran it and I always did everything on it. And since I am being removed from that particular company and that stuff, you know, I stopped it. And so if it shows up again or if he does it, you know, that's fine. So I've started my own with the Bates Works thing, uh, just like the videos and films, which are teachable. It's a Bates Works. So that's going to be the company name and that's going to be the business. So that change will be a little different. Um, wanting to get the book on my website as opposed to Amazon because every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world is reselling that book for substantially more than I do. I have no idea why that stuff happened. So that's what's happening here. I, everything is still with me the same. I'm still doing all this stuff. Um, it's just that kind of a, you know, it's hard. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a hard thing. It's a, it's a hard thing to kind of go down one path all your life. We have two phenomenal kids, best ever, um, and they're just wonderful. So that's a great thing that happened. And then he's done his thing with the dogs, and I've done mine. And we haven't done it together in decades. And so it's logical that this happened. But it's still a very difficult thing because it's not really the picture. And it hasn't always been the most fun way to live. Um, and uh, what I found uh, going through this stuff and trying not to make it public because nobody really cares. <laughs> they just want to know some dog stuff. Is there are some wonderfully supportive people out there. I have met some people who surprised me at how much they understood the difficulty of this. And they'd been through it themselves. And I have, uh, I have just been very touched. And, and it's nice to realize the quality of some people that you just never know. You, you don't really know, but, you know, they're just somebody in the dog business with you. And then you find out that there's some big old hearts out there and some really good people. And I've met some of them that have been, like I said, real supportive in this. And I just so appreciate that because this for me is really hard. I'm not this kind of a person. I'm kind of a big softie. Um, I cannot stand conflict. I cannot stand arguments and fights and I can't you know just I can't stand hurting stuff and so this has been a major challenge for me uh, probably reflected a little bit sometimes in the things that I say and do but I'm going to come out on the top of this thing and uh, recover from it but the dogs have always been my greatest alloy from when I was a little kid I always had dogs and when there were rough times in, the, in life which I did have a lot of as a kid Boy, those dogs are always there for me, and they are now. And now I find a lot of the dog people are equally wonderful uh, to deal with. And to all of you, I, I appreciate that very much. So that's kind of why the website and all the things have changed. And uh, we'll be all wrapped up with this by the end of October. And I wish the best for him, and I wish the best for myself. And uh, we'll just keep dogging it. So that's it for now, and uh, I wish everybody the best, and G and I will be back next week with the latest.